Questo è Florenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa, che da Entertainment capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. Très fort devant le but! Oh, Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. El largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol. 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 Cerebro. Cerebro. Cerebro Iniesta. The doctor is now in. Flying by today. Why? Because jam-packed sports weekend, exciting weekend. Who says these are the dog days? This is a dead time. Look at everything that happened. I mean, you got Euro 2020. You got Wimbledon, the, the final there. And, of course, we've got the NBA finals. we got Olympic Games happening. We've got these exhibition games here in Las Vegas. Not to mention concerts galore here in town. Major League Baseball. Oh, by the way, the All-Star Game's tomorrow. Oh, by the way, Jose Altuve went deep. Had his shirt ripped off. Six runs in the bottom of the ninth. One of the greatest comebacks of all time. Dusty Baker said yesterday, it's one of the, it is the greatest comeback he's been involved with as a player or a manager. As the Astros, who basically were shut out in uh, games Friday and Saturday against the Yankees, 7-2, bottom of the ninth, and the uh, Astros come back and score six times to defeat the Yankees yesterday. So, And nice to see somebody with their shirt taken off but keeping their pants on. This is true. <laughs> not like this. Italians. Uh-oh. Uh, our next guest is not going to want to hear about the Italians. That's right, because the Italians were victorious yesterday, Euro 2020. Even though it's 20, 21, I always have to say that, but uh, we don't have to say that anymore. Italy and England played to a one-all draw through regulation, through extra time, and it went to? The shootout or the ball on spot. There you if go. If you want to do that. And, the BOS. And, and, and England, it's funny because England scores like in the first few minutes of the game, and all of a sudden they're acting like, well, you know, we thought we might go to shootout, nil-nil, but, yeah. you know, now England certainly... And I loved it. Even when Italy scored, they go, well, Italy's got themselves back in the game. They were down one. Yes. Were they ever actually out? They were down one. Yes, yes. And England scored in the second minute. And boom, it's like, okay, what's going to happen here? But then if you're rooting for Italy, you're saying, okay, there's plenty of time here. And Man, I hope so. Yeah. Two minutes into a 90-minute yeah. game. And then, but it took them to the 67th minute before they scored to tie it at 1-1. But you could see right before that, especially in the second half, how Italy was really starting to build the momentum. But neither team had a whole bunch of shots on goal. No. And so you had the feeling when it was 1-1, yeah, we're, we're going to PKs here. BOSs, PKs, whatever. But I'll tell you who's not happy right now. Our good friend, Paul Stewart. Paul Buck 
Power Stewart is sitting in jolly old England right now, and just days ago he was ecstatic with his Tampa Bay Lightning, and then now, and he was so excited about getting ready for the final with England and Italy, and England was the favorite, but now it's dreary old England. I bet it's raining there in England today. Paul Buck Power Stewart, what is happening, my friend? Well, thank you, TC. Yeah, the view over here in England is we've got a country that's in mourning this morning because this whole reaching the final is only the second time England have ever reached the final of a major tournament. The last one was 55 years ago. And, you know, everyone was expecting great things. It it dominated not just the back pages, the sports pages, but the front pages of all the news. And, of course, then to lose on penalties, well, right now this whole country's in mourning. So, Paul, we hear the, especially in Europe there, and the traditional soccer countries, they just hate it when a game goes to the penalty kicks. But here in America, they love the shootout style and, you know, the sudden death and all that other type of thing. And you don't really get that in soccer for the most part. How do you guys feel about that? Is it just like uh, you hang your head and you say, you know, really, this isn't a a true winner? Because we hear that a lot over there. I think the, the problem it was, TC, many years ago, and this is going back into the 60s and 70s, they didn't really have penalties. You just, you had like a replay. You replayed the game three days later. But you can't really do that in major tournaments. You can't bring everyone back on a Wednesday for a replayed match. So penalties was the only way to go. And as you know, England do not have a very good record in penalty shootouts. We lost to the Germans so many times. So when we got to penalties last night, there was very much a sort of resignation that it's all going to go wrong. But England had their chances in that game. The problem was is they went 1-0 up, as you said, after two minutes. They then spent 88 minutes just defending, thinking we can see it out. And it doesn't work like that. Well, it's. It, I, I also found it interesting that during the extra time, right towards the end, when the England coach brought in a couple players, just getting them ready for the shootout, and then both of them missed their penalties. One had the wide open net and hit it off the outside of the post. The other one, it was saved. And I thought, okay, I understand these are guys that you think are your best penalty uh, kick guys, and you want them in the game for that, but they haven't played the game at all. They don't have a rhythm of the game. They haven't really seen the goalie and faced him. And it's almost like, you know, a coach looks brilliant when that works, but when it doesn't work, is he getting some of the blame for making that move late in the game now at this point, considering that they missed and they lost the penalty kicks 3-2? I think, I think that's what sports radio shows are there for, Frank, is to second guess. And, of course, social media is full of wannabe managers today. I think what's very interesting over here compared to American sports is – When a player misses a penalty, we don't castigate them in the press and blame them forevermore. You know, Gareth Southgate, who's the England manager now, he missed a penalty in the 1996 Euros. But it's not something, you know, we we blame him for because we understand the presser situation. Now, very much in American sports, and think back to the 86 World Series and Bill Buckner, it didn't cost them the series, it cost them one game. He had to live with that error for the rest of his life. So I think it's very much that when Whereas you guys will hang a mistake on a player, we don't because we very much accept the situation and we know how difficult it is and they've done their best. 
Yes, and Bill Buckner only got to rid himself after appearing in Curb Your Enthusiasm when he got to be able to catch a baby out out of a rooftop. I don't know if you saw that or if you get that. I know you get HBO over there, uh, Paul. So I hope you you saw that episode. Fantastic, Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, I, I always felt very sorry for Bill Buckner. I mean, I love that 86 Mets team. I mean, they were some tremendous characters. But as I say, it's just a real thing that he had to live with that stigma. He was a tremendous baseball player for many, many years. But people know him for that one mistake. But, yeah, I mean, England, it, we lost it on penalties. I think in extra time, England had their chances. They played better in that period. But Italy were the better team yesterday. They were the best team in the tournament. And maybe, you know, I'm being very pragmatic as a journalist. Journalist, I have no regrets over how England played, what the manager did, or what the final result was. They were the better team. Yeah, and here's the thing, and just to, you and I talked about this before, Frank, before we came on, and I was watching this game when I saw them make those substitutions. I'm going, what is he doing? I mean, that is coaching or managing, as you want to say there. And when you bring in a guy in who you know he's coming in for penalty kicks, but he's coming in the final minute of regulation, there's no flow. He's been sitting for two-plus hours. And don't forget Saka. He's a 19-year-old. You're putting a 19-year-old in the number five position there where everything is on his shoulders. I had no confidence in him, and I don't know how you felt about that, Paul, but, but the way they made that lineup there and then inserting those guys in for penalty kicks, no, that, that was a mistake, and I think that was a big mistake that Southgate needs to be uh, questioned on. I, I don't. I think it's difficult, really. I mean, it is such a pressure situation to take a penalty. You know, the whole country is watching you. And yesterday, that was the third most watched television program in the history of British television after the 1966 World Cup and Princess Diana's funeral. That's how many people were watching it yesterday. So I think the players they know the situation. They know the pressure that's on them. Even the Italians weren't taking good penalties. So I just think it's the pressure situation. And I think if you had an NBA playoff that suddenly came down to players taking free shots to decide an NBA title, you would see some of the best free shot players in the world making air shots. Uh, Paul, I, I don't know where you're getting your top three. What are you talking? Are you talking about the twit of the year? Monty Python's twit of the year episode is not in the top three. Come on, man. No, no, it really was. So, yeah, it was the third most watched program in the history of British television. But we did have one interesting story that I wanted to throw past you guys to see what your view was, was when England played Denmark in the semi-final, there was a woman who pulled what we call a... She pulled a sickie from work. She took the day off work, pretending she was ill. Well, she got spotted on the TV coverage at the game. So next day, when she went into work, still claiming she'd been ill, she was fired from her job. Was the guy right to fire her, or should he have let her get away with it? What's, what's your viewpoint on that? Now that? That was during the final or the Denmark the sem- game? The semifinal, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in the semifinal. I, yeah. like, I like the word, the term sickie, he said. Say that again, Paul. She, yes. she was, she was sickie, huh? She pulled a sickie. She pulled a sickie. Taking your ill, yes. Yeah, I say uh, no. She should not be fired. I mean, just because she was spotted on TV. I mean, but with, she wasn't. Uh, you know, that one that was wearing like a pumpkin face or something like that or whatever, right? Where the guy was like berating her. Or did she have her face uh, painted like the flag or what? Or is she in the Queen Elizabeth uh, costume? 
Who was that lady? Who was that one pulling the sickie? No, she was just a normal fan. But can you imagine now driving around Vegas or listening to this show? There are a whole bunch of lawyers who are now saying to themselves, I'll represent her. I'll get her job back for her. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, what type, uh, type of business was it that, that she worked at? And this, yeah, this guy is wrong. I mean, come on. Nah, you don't fire her for it that. It is interesting. I mean, I mean, the general viewpoint here is if she'd gone to him and said, I've got a ticket for the semi-final, can I go? He, he would have let her go. I think it's because think? she lied about it was, uh... was the story. But that, that made the press leading up to the final. That was quite a big story over here. Well, to me, it just sounds like a female version of Ferris Bueller's day off, took the day off, went there. If, if she would have done it during the final, I would buy the sickie a little bit more because they lost and she would probably still be sick over it. But, but she wasn't but, working. But, it was but, a but, Sunday night. Right. But I'm saying, but yeah. since she did it after the Denmark game, she should have been euphoric and happy afterwards. So she wasn't sick anymore. But uh, so, so I'm not really sure how to play that. But the bottom line to me is her face is all over right now. She's a huge England supporter. Strike now while the, while the rod is hot. I mean, this is the best time to go out and get another job. Hey, we take English soccer seriously, and we're we're going to give this woman a job because go England. There you go. I mean, right now her face is all over. She she, she can go someplace new and get a raise. <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting that the yesterday we had the final of the men's singles mm. at Wimbledon, one of the biggest sporting events we have here. Noko Djokovic won his 20th title, tied the all-time record for wins. And to be honest, no one even noticed or cared because all everyone cared about was the build-up to the Euro final. It, you, you really can't... The only way I could describe it would, would be if, if Nevada Las Vegas reads the final four. You know, if Nevada Las Vegas reached, say, the final four and everyone started in, you know, in Nevada started watching the game, you know, and the whole focus was on it. Well, just imagine that on a national scale where every bar, every restaurant, every pub, you know, friends are getting together in houses. It just everybody was watching that game yesterday. It was a national event. And unfortunately, it, it didn't go the way we wanted it. Well, you know, it was weird, too, because you mentioned the Wimbledon uh, men's final, and, yeah, Djokovic wins his 20th, ties Nadal and Federer. If he wins the U.S. Open, he'll beat both of them with his 21st. Also, he will win the Grand Slam in one calendar year, which hasn't been done since, I believe, Rod uh, Rod Laver. But I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting during that match because I did watch it because I'm a huge tennis fan. I got up early to see it. I was actually surprised that Berentini was getting as much love as he was in that match, being from Italy since England was playing Italy later on in that in that match. Now I think it's because the tennis fans just wanted to see more tennis, but I've yeah. also I, I've never seen Djokovic get that much love before either. But uh, I, I found it interesting. I thought that they would be more against Berentini because. They were playing England, uh, Italy later on that day. But here's my take with this, and you, and you know this as well. as Every time we watch a final or a meaningful match, who does the crowd root for? They root for the underdog. There's no country really allegiance whatsoever. They always root for the underdog. And I don't know if that's because they want to stay there for four and a half or five hours, but they always do that as long as I can remember watching this tournament when I was a kid all the way through. And uh, so that really didn't surprise me. But that's what was weird about it because yeah. it was about 50 50. Because I would say they a... were more vocal for Djokovic, especially early. Yes. But then they wanted more tennis later right. on. Right. But I mean, Djokovic was even looking around like, wait. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you guys love me? Yeah. Yeah. And re- and remember that after the semifinal match where you know Djokovic was uh you know talking to the crowd, he got a little bit of emotional and they go, "Oh, we love you. We love you." And this and that. It's like, "Wow." And then all of a sudden watching the final, it's like, "Now they're going against him." 
But, yeah, they seem to do that. They rally behind the guy, either who's the underdog or start, starting to make a comeback. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right, TC. I mean, Wimbledon tennis, the, the, the actual centre court is not very big. It seats about 15,000 people. You really are all on top of each other. I mean, I've been there many times, and it's quite amazing how compact it all is. But you're right. People want to see a good tennis match. So, yes, if Andy Murray was playing everyone's going to be behind Andy Murray because he's the home favourite. And even the, the other players accept that. You know, you get that home support. But really, the British tennis fans just appreciate good tennis. And yes, they root for the underdog. So there's no kind of bad guys. There's no kind of particular favourites. And I think... You know, if, if the player shows an appreciation for the fans, the fans will warm to them. And I think that happens in all tennis events, whether it be Flushing Meadow or Wimbledon. And I think we saw that too with Djokovic after the match was over. They, it was just like the semifinal. They, they love him, they love him, they love him. They just wanted to see, you know, quality tennis. I think they just don't like to leave that stadium. <laughs> yeah, and we should mention too, Ashley Barty, uh, you know, winning her championship there and uh, beating Pliskova. Yeah. That was a really good match. It was back and forth a lot. So, you know, there was a lot of upsets and it was kind of a strange Wimbledon in a lot of ways. But I think when all was said and done, the two best players won. And I mean, I don't know if you can ask for much more than that. But yeah, what, what Djokovic did was just absolutely incredible it amazes me how none of the younger players can still touch the top three when they're healthy and obviously right now Federer and Nadal they they're having some health issues in that but Djokovic is still carrying the torch and now with 20 championships now the question is not if he's going to get more than Nadal and Federer but it's almost like how many more will he get because this guy's still playing the best tennis of his career yeah, I mean, Federer pretty much denounced this. That was probably going to be his last Wimbledon. I think he knows he's reached the end of the road. I think Andy Murray will play the Olympics, and I think he'll hang his racket up. So, I mean, he, he's done everything he possibly can for British tennis. So, I think in a couple of years, you will see a passing of the guard, Frank. But at the moment, yeah, Djokovic is, is the number one. And, and good luck to him. He's been a tremendous champion. And, you know, it, it's hard not to like someone like that. All right, Paul Buckpower-Stewart joins us from England talking about the day after England loses the Euro Cup championship game to Italy. And, and Paul, going back to that, we heard today that the Prime Minister was um, incensed, I guess, in, uh, about uh, some of the, the comments that uh, fans were yeah. hurling at uh, the England players, uh, especially the minority players. And he was uh, condemning all you know the British uh, you know fans for 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 doing this. Talk a little bit about that story here. And it seemed like the teammates, his teammates, you know, they they were consoling these guys and everything for missing those penalty kicks. But uh, we know that there is racism uh, there. It's pretty rampant in England. What is the story right now today? Yeah, I mean, that is a big story, TC. And there's no place for that kind of behaviour on any side of the either side of the Atlantic at all. So, yes, unfortunately, the three penalties that were missed were missed by, you know, members of the ethnic community, players. So there will be some Neanderthal fans who hide behind social media who think they can get away with making racist comments. Now, this afternoon, one of the people who's made these comments has apparently been exposed and named, and, and again, He's been fired from his job. So, of course, he immediately claims my account was hacked. Isn't it funny how all these people always have their accounts hacked when they get found out for doing something like that? That there is no place for that kind of abuse in any sport. And, you know, not only will all the other players come out against it and politicians come out against it, 
everybody should come out against it. And yes, name and shame these people in any sport for any kind of abuse like that. And, and I'd be the first one to stand up and criticize them. Yeah, Rashford, Sancho, and and Saka just uh, yeah. you know vilified and just it, it's too bad. And especially when both teams. Uh, prior to the kickoff, you know, took a knee to show their support, you know, for for yeah, the you know, anti-racism. Exactly, know, it, united it, behind the front. And like you just, said, the one kid's like eighteen, nineteen years 19 old. Eighteen years old, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, there are still some fans who boo players when they take the knee. Yeah. So they'll cheer, they'll they'll sing the English national anthem, they'll boo the Italian or the foreign anthem, and then when players take a knee, they'll start booing them. Now, unfortunately, you're always going to have those kind of and the word i use is neanderthals people who have not evolved into real human beings and unfortunately the only way you can deal with people like that is expose them for the morons that they are and put them in the spotlight and show them there's no place to hide and that kind of behavior will not be tolerated in any form of life you know one of my favorite uh, words that you guys use over there paul is hooligans and, and, and I believe there was a hooligan that ran on the pitch yesterday. Now, this is, it was like early second half. And of course, we're watching on, on uh, ESPN and we're not actually seeing it ESPN ABC and they don't show it. So, do they show the hooligan running on the streaker or whatever happened yesterday? Do they show that on BBC One or do they cut away? Uh-huh. I didn't even know about that till I've read it today. And apparently he's just some wannabe reality TV star trying to get some publicity. And like the guy who did it at the Super Bowl, I've got no time for people like that. And to be honest, I think they should be put up against the wall and people could be able to take penalties at them. <laughs> Ball- except, England, except we'd probably miss. This is true. This is true. Ball the spot against a brick wall or something. That's That's what Paul Stewart is. Is advocating for so, if if you're kicking one of those penalties, what spot are you trying to hit? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, seeing as my football skills were terrible, and my, my father played professional football for Tottenham, but he never passed any abilities on to me. I was terrible at football. So that means you were a hotspur. You were a junior hotspur. Yeah, I mean, they should be my team, really. But no, I follow England. But as you know, I follow American sports. And can we please get back to some celebrations that have been happening? No, no, no. I'm not done with hooligan talk here. Quite. Yes, I want to know who this Ham and Ager was. What's the story about the guy that ran on the pitch? Because I'm always curious because we don't get a chance to see it. The guy delayed the play, play for about three minutes yesterday. And we saw the faces on some of the Italian guys. They're like laughing at the guy. I, I want to know uh, what he was doing. I mean, Paul, you are a guy there, Paul Stewart. Like about you... a five hundred dollar fine and probably a week suspended jail sentence, a slap on the wrist. Okay, there you go. All right, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about boat parades in Tampa Bay? You know, some four thousand miles away from you. Is that what you want to talk about? Well, I mean, as I said, I mean, last week I was predicting the Lightning were going to win in, in Game Four with a shutout. I was just two days late, but it happened in Game Five, and once again, another championship for one of my Tampa Bay sports teams. I'm just so looking forward to flying back across the Atlantic and buying all this championship merchandise. It's going to cost me a fortune. What do you mean? They have this thing called Amazon. Don't you get that over there, or what? Or just talk to your boy T.J. Reeves. Except, be careful of what you order from him because you're going to be getting something that uh, is a, coming from a guy named Dick and uh, has a bunch of dick talk on on these yeah. t-shirts. So don't don't be one is the is the model. So. Right, right. Yeah. So be careful what you're going to order from your boy TJ Reeves. 
Yeah, yeah I'm it'll be dick material. Merchandise here. I mean, looking around my office, I've got quite a bit. But yeah, I mean, I just want to be able to get out there and see American sporting events again. And I'm just hoping, say, someday soon, that the you know the travel restrictions will be lifted and I'll be able to come back out there because I want to go and see some baseball, some football, and some hockey. You know, on a, I don't know if it's a serious note or not, but Kucherov, after they won the championship, we found <laughs> out that he was playing injured the whole time. Kind of takes a, a flyer at Mark Andre Fleury and some other people here and changes things around. And now he's going on the boat and he's got the Super Bowl trophy and the Stanley Cup with him. He seems to be thoroughly enjoying himself. What do you think of him and what do you think happens in the offseason? Because Tampa Bay is quite a bit over the salary cap, my friend. I think it's quite interesting, Frank, if a British sports player turned up at a press conference drunk, which Cooch was. He had a few beers and things. Drunk and shirtless. <laughs> yeah, if, if a British soccer player or any sports player did that, they would get absolutely ripped apart. And, and just it would they would not be allowed to get away with it. Whereas over here, Kucherov turns up and does that, and everyone laughs and goes, yeah, good for you. What a great attitude and what a laugh. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I didn't agree with his criticism of Fleury because, to be honest, all three finalists for the Vezina, um, Fleury, um, Hellebuck and Vasilevsky, any of the three of them could have won it. And Fleury got it as much as a career award as for the season award. And I've got no problem with that. And I think Cooch was a little bit not thinking straight when he criticised him. Um, so I think if next year, if, if the Bolts play the Golden Knights and Fleury stops Kucherov on a one-on-one, you know that he's going to give him a bit of a finger, you know, a finger back at him as if to say, that's retaliation. But yeah, I mean, you know, the other comments about Vassy winning the Consmise and stuff, those are all quite legit. And having a go at the Montreal fans, I've got no problem with that. It was just a player letting off steam at the end of an incredibly strenuous event. And of course, then you hear about all these players that Killorn had a broken leg and Kucherov had cracked ribs. I think it's, it's only then you realise just how tough these hockey players are. Paul Stewart joined us. Paul, you got to be a little bit careful. I mean, when you're using the term cooch repeatedly and then finger in the same sentence, you got to be careful because, uh, you know, people are not sh- uh, sure what you're actually talking about here. That's probably the first time we use multiple cooches in, uh, in, on this show. <laughs> well, it's, it's not like he's talking about a rugby match and stuff going on in the scrum or something. No. <laughs> The scrum, the cooch and the scrum. Funny is when you talk about rugby. One of the positions in rugby is hooker, which of course has a slightly different meaning for you guys. So you know, we suddenly talk about you know, there's a there's a big six foot five hooker playing for England or South Africa. It's a bit different to how you guys would think about it. But I think that's the difference of where we have. It's the same language, but it's not the same language, which we can always have fun about. I think it's very safe to say none of us would like to see a 6'5 hooker. I'm not even going to reply to that one. (laughs) Although on the rugby field, I hear sometimes that's a big thumbs up. I mean, it is just like, you know, we talk soccer and football and, and the different terminology, and we know we've talked about this, and that we try not to use the American phrases when we're commentating over here. But, I mean, I know a friend of mine, an English soccer guy, does commentary for ESPN, and he just said he talk, he commentates in the same way as he would for an American audience as he does for the English audience, and they love it. Paul, speaking of which, uh, what do you think of the – the primary English uh, announcers that broadcast these games for ESPN over here, what Derek Ray and 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 who uh, and there's another one as well too. 
I think, I mean, I've heard a little bit of the stuff they do, and I just simply, to me, that sounds quite normal, because it would be the same as if, you know, when, when I hear NFL commentaries, I'm used to hearing Chris Collinsworth, Al Michaels, you know, and, and Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, people like that. But I think if if you heard myself and my former colleague Nick Holling, when we used to call NFL Europe games, you would think it sounds very, very strange for an English voice to be calling an NFL game. You know, and I think it would be, if I heard an American calling an England soccer match, it would seem strange to me because it would just seem out of place and not quite right. Well, there's no one like Toby Charles. Remember that, all right? The great Toby Charles back in the day. You should remember who he is, Paul. I think that might be before my time, TC. You're showing your age there, my friends. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, when you're talking about the different announcing style. I remember watching Wimbledon my entire life, and every once in a while they would say, now we're going to give you a couple points from the British announcing team. And they don't say anything. They let the game speak for itself or whatever, whereas the U.S. team, they feel like if, if we have any dead air, it's like, you're watching you're not on radio you don't have to cover every second correct yeah yeah i mean one of my producers once told me that less is more many years ago i was at wimbledon tennis with the late great dick enberg um and we got talking i just recognized him we were talking nfl and we got talking about tennis commentaries the very same subject and yeah he said i mean even when he did football and baseball there were times when he would just go dead quiet because less was more. Yes, one of the best, Dick Enberg, no question about it. Yes, he was. All right, Paul. Well, Frank, ask Paul what your real question is. Frank's been dying to ask you uh, this question here today. Go ahead. Okay. About about Paul Stewart's uh, bedtime. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, You know, we're we're always saying that we're interrupting you in the middle of the night and that it's like like 11 p.m. over there, right? Is that late for you? Is that late for most Englanders? Do some of them go out to the pubs and they party till the wee hours of the morning? Or is it because you have an early morning job that it's a little bit later for you? Because I Um, thought a lot of people in England really went out and, uh, you know, they they went went long into the night sometimes. Yeah, and part two of this, how late are those pubs open? Weeknights, weekends? Um, Pubs always close at 11 o'clock. There's no staying out after that nightclubs can stay open longer but actual pubs shut at 11 so someone like justin would not be able to survive in london because i'm pretty sure he'd want to stay out later than that you should have seen the look on his face when you said that you nailed it yes i'm I'm watching him tc i can see the look on his face i think i mean to me i mean yes i mean i'm used to staying up late night to watch american sports i have to admit i did fall asleep during game four of the hockey last week but it was three o'clock in the morning so yeah I mean, it's late for me, but I say when you're watching sports and you watch Monday Night Football that starts at 1am UK time, you just get used to it. The same as you were getting up early the last two weeks, Frank, to watch the Wimbledon, because it, it, to you, it's about a five o'clock in the morning start. Yeah, exactly. But I, I find that interesting, too. So when you're watching all these American sports, you have to watch at home because you can't go to a pub to watch it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, to be honest... I mean, I've been to a couple of Super Bowl parties where they've had the game on during the night, you know, like a closed closed pub environment, but it's not really the same. So to me, I mean, I've got used over the last 30 years to me watching sport is a very individual experience where I'm sitting in my house watching the game. And if it's in the middle of the night, I'll have headphones on so I didn't keep my family awake. So to me, it's a different kind of environment, just the same as you probably watch Wimbledon on your own early morning before breakfast. All right. He is Paul Buckpower-Stewart. We are weeks away from training camp, those Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, 
getting close. So, Paul, what do you have to look forward to now? I mean, England, they're done with the Euro 2020. You're going to have the start of the football season starting back up there again. So I know people will be going crazy with that. But uh, what about the Olympics? I mean, what, what are Brits talking about? What do they have to look forward to in the next week or two? Well, don't forget, it's not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Say no more, Squire. Um, So right now, so we have a huge week, summer of sport going on. So this week, the Open Golf, or the British Open, as you guys insist on calling it, takes place at Royal St. George's. That starts on Thursday. This weekend, we've got the Formula One British Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton, British driver, is defending world champion. That will be a huge event. And then you roll into the Olympics and start picking up. So for this week, by this weekend, the football will, the soccer will have been forgotten. It'll be golf and the Formula One. And then we'll pick up towards, you know, the Olympics. Then we've got a big cricket test match series against India going on through August. And then we'll be back into the new Premier League season. So whereas you have... You know, very seasons that build up to playoffs. We have all these different sporting events that sort of come and go quite quickly. So the sort of sporting interest goes with it during the summer. No interest in the Tour de France? Well, there's no real British. We, yeah. The British guys won it a few years ago. And to be honest, I, I've, a friend of mine commentates. He does the commentary on the Tour de France. And he says it's an amazing event to go to. So, yes, you can watch it live. But to be honest, I got very disillusioned with cycling because of all the drug cheating that's going on. <laughs> Paul Buckpower Stewart. How long does that cricket match go with England and India? That's what I want to know. Um, a, a test match will last five days. It's five days, and it's about six hours a day, because unlike baseball, in cricket, when you hit the ball, you don't have to run. You can choose when you run, so you can stay in a lot longer. But you can have one-day cricket matches as well, which become drinking contests. But yeah, test matches last five days. Yeah, we need a longer show for you to uh, explain that to us. I've I've watched cricket. I try to get into it, and so they're like, well, they only scored 82 runs that at at bat, so I don't know if that's going to be enough to hold the other team (laughs) off. And it's like... What are you talking about? They decide when to run or not. Ah, I see I hit that one in the, in the gap. Nah, I'm not going to run. Please, do not ask me to explain cricket. I will yeah. just say it's baseball for the British, and I'm going to leave yeah, it at there that. There you just, go. Just watch out for those sticky wickets. That's right. It's true. All right, my friend. We'll let you get back to your cooch or cooches. All right, my man. We appreciate the time, Pleasure. Paul. Outstanding, right. my friend. We'll talk to you All soon. The, the sticky wicket, by the way, is when the wicket, when it rains and it actually gets in the mud a little bit. They call it the sticky wicket. That's what you call it. Okay. I, you, I, I did a report on cricket back in eighth grade, and I've kind of tried to watch it since, but it's it's a difficult game to really – it's like it's so, so much of it makes no sense to me. But you uh, you, you stick with that phrase, though. That's well, There you go. I thought it was amusing when I was in eighth grade because I was in eighth grade. <laughs> Now that uh, phrase has a different meaning. Maybe. All right. Paul Stewart. Always fun. Jolly good fun with Paul Stewart. All right. When we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about UFC 264. And we've got a couple days to wait for the NBA Finals game number four. But tonight, USA-Australia, what's going to happen there? T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank here on this bloody Monday. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and you're listening to T.C. Martin. He's huge, baby. All right, glad to have you here on this Monday with us. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, 
tcmartinshow.com. Check out the interviews, the blogs. It's all up there for you as well, too. And uh, i got a feeling Paul Buckpower Stewart's interview will be up there. Of course, it'll be on the show from today's show. But uh, check out the interview page as well, too. The classic interviews, the past interviews, they're all up there. So check it all out, tcmartinshow.com. It'll be on the T.C. Martin Show pitch. Yes, the pitch. I love saying the pitch. That's what it is. It's the pitch. And the pitch usually in pristine condition, too. At all these soccer Unlike Wimbledon venues. in week two. <laughs> oh, God. Again, I was, way way uh, on like the Open is going to be. Yes, yes. Or the British Open, as Paul says, we call it over here. And I know, we talked about this three weeks ago, and you know how I feel about that. I'm watching, like, ah, too many brown spots, this and that. And I, find I love my, the huge sand traps. I, I, I love the bunkers. Yeah, I know, I know. But I'm going back to the Wimbledon. I'm watching Djokovic yesterday, and I'm going like, See, my eye just goes to the brown spots. It's like I, I'm watching the tennis, but I'm always looking at the brown spots. And then where the ball boys are at. It's like, okay, looks beautiful on the first day, second day. And then gets ugly. But, yeah. A lot, a lot of matches. Yeah, I know. I know. I <laughs> With know. some pretty athletic people running around. Have you ever been on a grass court? Where, I have been on a grass well, I mean, court. A, like a real, yeah, finely yeah. cut. Yeah. That's something else, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I never got a chance to really play on one much. I got to, like, just hit for, like, half an hour once or yeah. something, well, which was kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, you got on it. That's cool. You know? So, yeah. It, it was, but it is weird how, and I'm sure at Wimbledon it's not as bad as the one that I was on because they keep them up a lot more, but just the different bounces and everything when it, you know, when it hits different rough spots and things like that and how you kind of slide. Like, you know, I thought that grass and play were kind of similar with the sliding and it's really not in fact at Wimbledon they try to ask people not to slide as much in that because right. that's what rips up the grass right. even more that's why Djokovic and players like him that are so good on clay as well that can play on every surface they just you know they wipe it out and you know then they have to d- dictate what kind of shoes they can wear and how big the little stubs can be on the bottom of that because they want the traction but the tournament doesn't want the thing just completely eviscerated and ripped apart so it's it is interesting and it and that's one of the things that makes Djokovic Maybe the greatest of all time because he's won so many. I mean, Nadal, they've all won 20, but Federer was the king of Wimbledon. You know, Djokovic has now won six Wimbledons, but still not as many as Federer. We know that Nadal owns the French Open, and then he's won the other ones. Djokovic, I believe, is 9-0 and at the Australian. Mm-hmm. He's won now this, like I say, a sixth Wimbledon, and then he's won a couple French and a couple U.S. Opens. And now if he wins the U.S. Open again, I mean, that would not only be historic – and I know it's only tennis to some people out there. No, no, but no. it would be twenty-one me? championships, yeah. which would be the most ever, and a Grand Slam in the same year. Yeah. I mean, that's just—he's got it, it's three quarters it's of the way there. Unbelievable. Yeah, no. you know, I, I, I've heard that Nadal is gonna play at the U.S. Open. I don't know if he's gonna make it or not, but he's gonna make a concerted effort to try to make it in there. And I think part of it is because. He figures if anyone's going to stop Djokovic, it's going to be me because, again, these younger players. And Berrettini yesterday, he played well, but his backhand isn't consistent enough, and Djokovic played the big points better. In the second set, Berrettini had a chance to break. He missed it down the line, and then he hit one into the net for the other. I mean, he should have broke and been right back on serve. Now, that doesn't mean he wins the set, but Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer play the big points so much better than these younger guys. Yeah. Yeah, Djokovic. I don't. I don't see Nadal or anyone stopping him. And and again, if, if Nadal is not 100 percent healthy as well, too. On clay, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And on the hard courts. And again, Nadal can play all the surfaces as well. But he's the king of clay for right. a reason. So Djokovic is just the best player in the world right you now. Talked about Berrettini. Um, a little bit too early for me to start on a terrible Tuesday because I, I didn't like the hat. Okay, 
guys wearing hats and then wearing them backwards while they play tennis. See, I got an issue with that. I don't want to see it. So you prefer men without hats? Uh, men without hats, absolutely. <laughs> there it is. The you, safety. You dance. like the safety dance? Yeah, absolutely correct. Especially when you're a six foot five hooker on the uh, on the field. <laughs> right, so. right. On the pitch, you gotta use safety. How do you feel about the hat? Now, knowing you, you probably, oh, I could care less about it. It just looked goofy. He looked goofy yesterday. Wearing the hat, wearing it backwards. You are at the All England London Tennis Club. You're in the final of Wimbledon. Come on. Get rid of the hat. It looks hokey joke, man. It didn't bother me whatsoever. And the T-shirt that he's wearing. Come on, Well, man. they have to wear the white. You know, you can't have any color in that. So it looks like he had a wife beater white. on. He had the Chris Wien wife beater on. That's what he had going on. He didn't have the collared I... shirt. I, I have to admit, it, maybe I notice the outfits sometimes when I'm watching the ladies yeah. play, yeah. but as far as the men in that, I, I really don't. I watch for the tennis. The guy's wearing a hat. I, I, He's wearing a hat backwards. I, I'm replaying the match now in my you mind. You look like Chris Penn. And now I see a hat. Yeah. I didn't even realize he was wearing one until you just brought it up because <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Why do I notice these things? I notice the brown spots. I notice uh, well the brown the spots are hard to miss yeah, I know. because the entire baseline is a brown spot and in, in the olden days it used to be worse going to the net when everything was serve and volley yes and that's one thing that Djokovic really showed I never saw Djokovic go to the net so much in a match yeah he did he did he was up there and he was winning every dang point he went up well, there yeah. he, he wanted to he wanted to get out of there man they had other programming on he knew that they had to get to well, the no, Italy he, English game well yeah he, yeah and 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 that was kind of like the appetizer for that and according yeah. to uh, Paul over in England, you know, it wasn't much of an appetizer. Oh, People it, just wanted the main course. Like I said, they, uh, it was definitely second-tier news. No question. Now, I do know Tom Cruise was there because I saw him in the stands. So he, so he was one celebrity not at UFC 264, but yeah. he was at Wimbledon. All right, UFC 264. We talked about it last hour with Dustin Poirier defeating Conor McGregor. Doctor stoppage at the end of the first round. Conor McGregor breaks his ankle. T- Conor McGregor on his tirade again. And uh, he was horrendous at the press conference, horrendous at the weigh-in. And like Heidi Fang said, usually after the match is over, then, okay, he'll give the guy a little bit of credit. And, and remember, what had happened where back in January, the pre-fight press conference where McGregor is coming off that victory, even though it was you know seven years earlier, he was nice to Poye, saying he's got nothing against the guy. Man, now does it flip. And then it flipped to the all-time where he's calling on his wife and calling, calling her a hoe. I mean, ridiculous, the behavior here with Conor McGregor. We understand that it's for show and this and that. But, again, there's bitterness. There is some angriness and downright embarrassment for the way he ended this, you know, basically on his back for a majority of that match. And then with the broken ankle, doing the interview uh, you know, up against uh, the cage there in the octagon, bleeding profusely and having a broken angle that looked, looked totally grotesque. I mean, it's just humiliating for the guy. And then he just continues to add insult to injury with his comments and his behavior. And he's got to know that, okay, I'm, I'm turning off some people here. And I'm tired of the people saying, yeah, but it'll still draw this and that. Not, not anymore. Those days are gone. And again, against a top-tier guy, he's not going to be competitive. And he is really turning into a circus sideshow. And I really firmly believe that he's going to go the Mayweather routine real soon here where he's going to be relegated to exhibitions. Well, you know, it's interesting because on Friday when we were leading up to this fight and we talked about it, we had mentioned 
that, you know, I said it, Heidi said it, I believe that you were on board as well, that McGregor seemed like he was trying to talk himself into that he was the old Conor McGregor again, that he was the notorious one, that he was back, that he was going to not only beat Poirier, but knock his head off, kill him in the cage, doing all this stuff to pump himself up, that I'm the baddest man on the planet again. And it seemed like, I don't know if he thought it was getting Poirier's head or not, but it definitely wasn't. You could see that. Poirier was just kind of like, yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah, here we Saying go again. Saying you're going to kill Been me yeah. is not cool, but I'm not going to let it bother me either because I'm going to kick your butt in the cage. I think Conor McGregor realizes that it's all slipping away or that it's even has slipped away already. And then he loses, and because of the fashion he lost, he's like, wait, I can still sell this. I think he's trying to convince himself. And I think he's, well, I can still sell out this. I know Poirier's not going over to Allegiant, but I had said, after I win this, we're going to take on Oliveira, and we're going to go over there, and we're going to sell out Allegiant Stadium. He's seeing it slipping away. He was the king. He was on top of Mount Everest. And now he's sliding down, but he's not sliding down. He's falling down rapidly. He's becoming less and less essential. He's almost becoming that guy that you that you look at and it's like, okay, well, if you beat Connor, you could have a chance at a championship or not. And then if you can't, maybe you can't. But he, he's becoming one of those things that nobody fears him anymore. Now they want to fight him because they think, I can beat him. He's a great person to put on my resume, and he's going to get me bigger paydays down the back end. Connor doesn't want to be a stepping stone for somebody else out there. I think he's having a hard time realizing that he's not the notorious one anymore. You know, there's talk of, oh, they got to finish the trilogy with Diaz. Why? Yeah. Who wants I mean, to see you know, that? And, and, and Diaz is almost in the same situation that uh, McGregor is. And so people think that he's going to sell out Allegiant Stadium. No, he's not. He's not going to sell out Allegiant Stadium. A guy who's won one out of his last four fights, and the guy he beat was Cowboy Cerrone, who's nobody at this, at this no, stage. No, Cowboy Cerrone is a shell of himself. Yeah, thank Absolutely you. That's 100%. my point exactly. And again, if Connor would have knocked Poirier out in incredible fashion yeah, different story maybe maybe then he does sell that out yeah. and, and especially with a other really big main eventer you know i and i know dana white doesn't want to even think about going into allegiant without knowing that he can sell it out to me there's only one mma guy right now that has that name power and that's john jones yeah yeah but i, and, but I don't know who he's gonna fight yeah. i don't know if he yeah. could and it's like and again i don't even know if that did it there is no it, UFC fight that can sell out Allegiant Stadium right now. Not to me. It, it, I, I don't see Conor it. Conor McGregor could have done it three years ago. Yeah. He could, and he could have he, maybe yeah. done it if he, if he yeah. knocked out Poirier yeah. in spectacular fashion here. Right. But that didn't come close remember, to happening. Even if you get 35 or 40,000 fans, that is a tremendous accomplishment. That's double of what you get at T-Mobile Arena. More than double. Oh, for sure. But you're not selling out 70,000, 80,000 like a Garth Brooks would or a Paul McCartney or somebody like that or, you know, an NFL game with the Raiders. It's just not going to happen. And a boxing match can't do it. Even as Canelo Alvarez, it's not going to do it. As good as Canelo Alvarez is, you need a dance partner. Conor McGregor is number one, doesn't have that right dance partner that's going to make for a competitive fight. But then again, he's lost. His, his viability and his luster. Can he market? Absolutely, he could still market, but who are you marketing to? Okay, You're marketing to the Jake Pauls of the world in, in, in that, that realm. I mean, that's where he's going right now. So, again, if you're looking for a competitive world championship bout with multiple belts on it, Conor McGregor's not in that fight. 
I don't care if it's at Allegiant Stadium uh, or T-Mobile Arena or anywhere for that matter. It's just it's not happening. No, I agree with you. And, and right now, like I say, that's why I say John Jones because he's still. But but again, I don't I don't think he could do that. Um, Amanda Nunez, I think it's, he is the one fighter yeah. that I always she's must see, but I don't yeah. think she's big enough. And again, like you said, she yeah. doesn't have that dance partner. You know, yeah. you know, maybe if. If she would have fought Cyborg years ago when Cyborg was still relevant, then we saw her at one of the uh, fights over at the, the Virgin yeah. and that. So, you know, I mean, there, there's names out there, but not names to sell out a venue like that. That's like, its biggest Fury Wilder was. Yeah. They didn't say, we're going to Allegiant right away. They were happy to be at T-Mobile and let's sell yeah. that out now and try to build something and see if we can get something down the road. So, yeah, I don't know when they go there, but everybody that thinks that, that Dana White is just chomping at the bit to get into Allegiant, he is in the sense that he wants to have a fight card there, but he doesn't want anything but a guaranteed yeah. knockdown, drag him out, sell out event there. And, and with a popular UFC without Conor McGregor, you don't need to do that. You're fine at T-Mobile. In For sure. Grand, you're fine. Here's Conor McGregor uh, after his surgery. What's up, fight fans? The Notorious here. Just out of the surgery room. Everything went to plan. Um, everything went perfect. I'm feeling tremendous. We got six weeks on a crutch now, and then we begin to build back. Um, you know, I want to thank all the fans all around the world for your messages of support. I hope you all enjoyed the show. I want to thank all the fans in attendance at the T-Mobile Arena, 21,800 fans in attendance. The place was absolutely electric. Um, it would have been, it was a hell of a first round. It would have been nice to get into that second round. And then, you know, to see what's what. But it is what it is. That's the nature of the business. A clean break of the tibia. And it was not to be. You know, Dustin, you can celebrate that illegitimate win all you want. But you've done nothing in there. That second round would have shown all. And, you know, onwards and upwards we go, team. We dust ourselves off. We build ourselves back. And we come back better than ever. Let's go, team. Conor McGregor was great there for the first 46 seconds. Until he started bagging on Poirier again. And it would have been nice to hear those first 46 seconds, 48 hours ago, in the ring. And then, you know what? Then people would have respected him a little bit more. But they go, man, here he is again, just you know, making more excuses. And again, when you go the vulgar routine and talking about somebody else's wife, just... Not a good look, man. And to say, Dustin, you did nothing? Well, you, you've got to at least... Admit that he won the round. He dominated. So, so if nothing else, he was up one round to none on you. Yeah. At the very least. Yeah. yeah. Conor McGregor was not winning that fight, barring a miracle. All right, I want to thank Heidi Fang for joining us for talking about UFC 264. BJ Armstrong, the NBA Finals. Paul Buckpower Stewart from England talking Euro 2020 Wimbledon and more. Uh, great stuff there. All of that will be up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. Available on all the podcast platforms as well. Spotify, iTunes. Just where you go for podcasts, go check it all out. Subscribe TC Martin Show uh, there. All right, Ballpark Frank, we're back out again tomorrow. Terrible Tuesday. Looking forward to that. And USA against Australia tonight. What do you think? Are you more <laughs> excited about that or the home run derby? Home run derby, Otani. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the, to that and the All Star Game on Tuesday as well too, and the WNBA All Star Game. And our buddy Chris Wynn is taking a flyer on a uh, bit of a long set in the home run derby. Uh, what a shock! I think I'll take the field against Otani. How's that? All right. Have yourself a good one. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, too.